The purpose of Retire with Style is to help you discover the retirement income plan that is right for you. The first step is to discover your retirement income personality. Start by going to resaprofile.com style and sign up to take the industry's first financial personality tool for retirement planning. ADV Part 2. You can think of it like your car manual, but please don't put it in your glove compartment. Read it. Hey everyone, welcome to Retire With Style. Alex here, and we're continuing our conversation with Ryan Walter. Hey Walter, how are you? Hey, I'm doing great, Alex. How are you? Nice, nice. So what's changed since the last time we've spoken? <laughs> yeah, yeah, not not a whole lot. <laughs> not even my shirt. <laughs> No, well, I did get a cup of coffee, so uh, <laughs> there is that. Uh, but uh, today we're doing the unthinkable. No one has the guts, but we stand up and we will do this. Uh, effectively, we are going to review our firm's ADV. What do you think? Is that are, are we? Uh, you know, stop the insanity. <laughs> yeah, the, the most common thing I hear from the advisors I work with is, "Why do we have to have this document? Nobody ever reads it." But I think as we go through this, you're going to find like there, there's a lot of really important, useful yeah, yeah, information yeah. in there. Uh, so, people who aren't reading it, you you should read this. It's going to give you a ton of insight to the people you're working. No, I, I agree. Uh, and, and again, the theme here is like the business of advice, simply because we know for well that majority of our listeners are consumers. And the reality is we've gotten questions about, you know, you know, engaging with an advisor or someone that's with an advisor. And they're asking us questions that are like business related, if you will. And uh, one of the best things is really just Look, this, you know, we wanted to have a few episodes on the business of advice, just explaining what are the different types of advisors, you know, what, what are they bound to, custody, et cetera. And today, I, I think this is a, a hugely, one of the most important episodes we, we've had on our show, because really what it does, what it breaks down is how to read what an advisor is doing for you and how to discern the signal from the noise to make sure that, uh, you know, in addition to, you know, the trust and the personal relationship that this is that this is a very credible person. And you write and an advisor is required to on a yearly basis update their ADV. What does ADV actually stand for? I don't even know. It, it doesn't really stand for anything. <laughs> uh, it, it's ADV because it's filed and prepared and maintained by registered investment advisors. So, oh, the ADV yeah. is advi. Oh, 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 okay. There you go. Yeah, it's not an acronym. Um, and so, wow, like, I thought bro it was. <laughs> broker dealers have a form BD that they file. Broker dealer form BD. Investment advisors have the form ADV. I guarantee you, if I ask any advisor right now, what does ADV stand for? I, I, I don't think ninety-five percent of the people know this. <laughs> because it's a trick question, and it stands for nothing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right. All right. But uh, it stands for nothing, but it's about everything. Yeah. Uh, so in, in addition to that, there's one more uh, question 
before we begin that comes up here. What, 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 what why is advisor, you know, in, you know, in the English language spelled with an O, and why when you see it in legally in legal papers and, and things along those lines spelled with an E? Yeah. Do you know? They mean the uh, same thing. <laughs> they, they mean exactly the same thing. So don't get bogged down in the spelling if, if that's something that's been tripping you up. The, the law that created investment advisors as an industry and, and where all the rules and regulations that they're subject to are found is the Investment Advisors Act of 1940. That's advisors with an E-R. When a lawyer writes something, they will use the ER form more often than not because that's what the law is. When almost anybody else writes advisors, they're going to use the OR form, but they're saying the exact same thing. There's no actual distinction between advisor with an ER and an OR. It's just a preference for most people. And for lawyers, that means the ER more often than not. Gotcha. No, I always find it because then when we write in our marketing side or on our website, you know, we, we always do the, the OR just because, I don't know, it closely hey, aligns with the English language. Everybody has yeah. their favorite, but it makes no difference. Okay. So then let's break down the, the, the ADV. We'll choose McLean simply because that's our firm and we're completely transparent. And uh, I feel better about doing that than pulling some random firms ADV and, yeah. <laughs> and talking about their business. Uh, so the purpose here is we're using McLean's and we'll have it downloadable in the show notes. You can download the ADV and, and you know, it may be helpful. Just download it and you can, as we're talking, you can kind of see it just the same or just listen in. That'll be fine. But I, I, I don't know. I, th- I thought it'd be kind of cool to do it in, in that manner as well. So uh, let, let's take it away, uh, Ryan. Uh, it's your show at this point. Yeah. And so all for, Form ADV has multiple parts. You've got uh, Form ADV Part 1, which an investment advisor files online. It, it's kind of a, a data entry form uh, based on a, a set uh, of questions uh, and, and response options. That is something that's filed directly with whatever regulator the firm is, is registered with, either a state, one or more states, or the SEC. Uh, that's not the subject of this discussion. That's the ADV part one. Um, there's the 2A, the disclosure brochure. That's what we're going to be focusing on here. That's really the, the meat and potatoes uh, of an advisor uh, description of the advisor's business uh, and fees, services, conflicts, things of that nature. There's the 2B, which is a brochure supplement. That's kind of a miniature biography of the investment advisor representatives who are going to be actually giving you the advice, the individuals of the firm who are going to be working with you. Um, Give some information on their background, their education history, business background, their outside activities, if if they have other businesses or other ventures beyond being an advisor representative, uh, and some of their personal conflicts of interest. Um, and then you've got ADV part three, which is the client relationship summary or form CRS, um, interchangeable terms there. That's a two page document, could be two or four pages, depending on the firm. Uh, that's kind of a book report version of the disclosure brochure that we're going to be talking about here. Um, 
just very, very abbreviated uh, discussion of the firm's business and, and fees and conflicts. Uh, but the really, I, I think the most meaningful document is this 2A that we're going to be looking at. Yeah, and look, I, I, I would say this. Why is there an abbreviated version of a document we're going to talk about? That it's human nature, right? Uh, look, this is an important decision. And, you know, some people say, well, I don't like to read or I don't like to do this or uh, just let just tell me what to do, you know, that kind of thing. And I get that. I'm like that with certain things. Right. But this is hugely important. And it, it's just your responsibility, you know, as as a, even, you know, for your family's assets, if that if you, if you seek financial advice. You, you, you need to just read this. You know, uh, it, it's one of those things. You could say, ah, it's just boilerplate. It's not boilerplate. It's, I mean, there's some language that you need to follow, but the reality is, is it'll tell you a lot about uh, the firm in which you're entrusting your entire, your assets to that you spent 30 plus years building. So, you know, honestly, uh, if you don't do it now, <laughs> when? Exactly. Like this, this is your shot. If you're hiring an investment advisor, this is your shot to really vet them out, feel them out, get a sense for, you know, what they stand for. And one of the best ways to do that beyond just talking to somebody is through this ADV. Yeah. And talking is important, but it's not the end. It's not like, ah, you know what? I like Ryan. He's a cool guy. I'm going to go with him. No, 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 no. (laughs) A lot of cool guys out there, but I wouldn't trust them all with my money. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Ryan passed the first step. Now we got to, you know, see him. All right. So uh, what do we have here? So I'm opening up the ADV. Yep. And the first thing you're going to see for almost any ADV 2A, the disclosure brochure, is the cover page. That's I. There's 18 items that all firms need to address in the ADV. Some firms need uh, have a 19th item if they're state registered, but we're going to focus on 18 because that's what everybody addresses. And item one is the cover page. And this is just giving you bare bones details. Who is the firm? McLean Asset Management Corp. Where are they located? Um, how can I, you know, how can I uh, contact them? Um, phone number, email address, what have you. Uh, and it also gives you the date that the uh that the, this version of of the ADV. So we're looking at the March 7th, 2023 filing from claim here. And a firm has to do these every year. That's right, at least once a year during the uh, Yeah, 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 you're right. Yeah. So if if a firm okay, makes a material uh, update, they have to update it during the course of the year, but everybody has to update it at least once. A year. Okay. And so then sort of like the State of the Union address. You got to at least talk once in front of the nation. Exactly. But, you know, the results vary. All right. <laughs> so uh, number page two? Yep. Um, page two, uh, you're going to find uh, the material changes. So this section is going to talk about all the material changes that took place since the last annual updating amendment that was filed. Uh, so in this case, we're talking about all the material changes that took place since uh, March 9th, 2022, which is McLean's last annual amendment filing before this March 7th, 23 version. Um, won't give a lot of specifics. Usually it'll just say we updated item X to do some vague thing, but it'll at least uh, give you an indication of where to look for uh, what changes have taken place. Okay. And so then there's a table of contents, contents about the items, the, the 18 items that you mentioned. And then it gets into the, the brass taxes with item four, where we're talking about our advisory business. Now, what are some tells? 
you know, and you can use obviously use McLean as an example of, of what what the tells are there. Yeah, and really, you're looking at uh, a number of different things in this section. Who who are the owners of this firm? MAMC is principally owned by Alex. Easy, very straightforward. Who are your uh, primary clients? Individuals, retirement plans, trust estates. Again, very straightforward. Uh, what a lot of people are going to be interested in are what are the services you're going to offer me? And and these services can come in a variety of different shapes and sizes. You may have uh, investment management, you know, just pure money management, either on a discretionary basis or a non-discretionary basis. Discre- discretionary versus non-discretionary, meaning uh, do they have to tell me before they want to do something in my account? Non-discretion means that I tell uh, that my advisor has to call me or email me every time they want to make a trade and make sure that I'm okay with it. That's a non-discretionary engagement. Discretion, that speed bump doesn't exist. The, the advisor is given full discretion to do whatever they want uh, in terms of managing and trading the account. They don't have to talk to me first. They always have to do whatever they're doing in alignment with my goals and objectives and any restrictions I want to place on their authority. But if I grant them discretion, then subject to those goals and objectives, they they have full discretion to do whatever they want in pursuit of those goals and objectives. Now, a couple of points here. Discretion, we talked about custody in the last episode. That doesn't mean we can make trades and send them to foreign accounts or anything like that. Discretion, yeah. actually, from a, from a workflow standpoint, our firm functions with discretion. If, if you're a client that wanted to send us assets to manage and all of it is non-discretionary, we probably wouldn't take it simply because the logistical hassle of calling somebody every time we rebalance a portfolio or dividends came in and we're going to reinvest it and, and, and dealing with sort of having to call you before we do that, like these practical kind of things, it's just not worth it from a, just from a, from a workflow standpoint. Now, that's not to say that we don't have some assets that we don't have discretion, but that would happen if, like, let's say you bring over a million dollars, right? And 50000 of that is stock that your grandmother gave you. And you say, hey, look, there's 950000 but this 50000 don't touch because it means a lot to me. It's that. There's, a, there's a reason why it can't be touched or something like that, and we don't have discretion over those assets. That's fine. But... Uh, it's very difficult, and I don't know. I know from McLean, but I don't know if you, from your experience with other firms, it's very difficult to manage a firm efficiently with non-discretionary only approach because it, it it'll just shut you down. I, I got to wait for Ryan to call me back to see what I do with these twenty cents of AT and T stock dividend. You know what I mean? Like that's just. And, and my hands are tied until I hear back from you. And if you're on a two week vacation, that means your account, you know, can't be touched. For two weeks, unless I could somehow get a hold of you and bother you while you're away, it's one of the, one of the drawbacks of of having a non discretionary relationship. I think a lot of times, retail investors are are looking for a discretionary manager. You know, they I don't I'm hiring somebody because point. I don't want to think about this, right? Uh, so I don't want to be called every time they want to do something in the account. I, and I think a lot of times, in my experience, at least. Non-discretionary is for one of two things, either a client who is an investment professional and you know has a good head uh, for, for this side of the business and, and they want to be involved in the decision making because they know what they're talking about. And they just kind of 
they, they want this other expert to give their advice and opinions, and but they want to be the final decision maker, which, which is fine. Uh, you may also see non-discretionary for like institutional clients because they, they have their own investment team that wants to review all of your recommendations ahead of time. And, and to the client, to the institution, that's a necessary check that they need to have in order to get comfort that the advice they're receiving is appropriate. But for the everyday investor, most of the time they want discretion because they don't want to be bothered with what's going on in the account. They just want to know it's in good hands and that they trust the person who's managing it. Yeah, and, and I can't stress enough. There's just some logistical admin things that it's just, it just you know, I, you just kind of need it. You know, at least that's, you know, for 95% of, of, of the folks out there. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's not necessarily, let's say there's a do-it-yourselfer. And they say, oh, I want an advisor, but I want to know every time a trade is made just so I can, like, approve it. Mm-hmm. I, they, they wouldn't be a client of McLean because that's just not going to work from a standpoint of just efficiency. And there's probably a better fit out there. You know, it, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, not everybody fits with every firm, as great as the firm, as great as the client might be. Uh, it, absolutely. That's something you need to be on the lookout for. And something I think we touched on in the last section is that we're, we're really looking for firms that fit what we want, right? And if I don't want to be bothered, then I don't want to hire a non-discretionary firm. I want somebody who will take yeah. full discretion and take on that responsibility. The Retirement Researcher Retirement Income Challenge has started up and we had a great first day yesterday. But if you missed your chance to take part, don't worry. You can join our Retirement Income Challenge waitlist so you don't miss out next time. And make sure that you're able to join Wade, Alex, and I. To sign up for the waitlist, head over to resoprofile.com slash podcast. Again, that's resoprofile.com slash podcast. See you in the challenge, next time at least. And, okay, there, there, there's that. So no, no, that's good. So, so there's other services here as well that we have you may want to? Yeah. Um, so we, and, and a lot of firms will have multiple different lines of service. Most of them are not just strictly money managers. A lot of them will have, um, financial planning, for example. Um, so maybe they will manage assets, but maybe they'll also help you set goals. Um, what are your retirement needs? What are, what are you, uh, do you have kids who you need to save for education? What's your tax situation like? And they can take all of that information and and set up a plan or first identify goals in the the near mid and and long term uh set like tangible benchmarks that they try and reach to meet those goals and then put together an action plan of how to get to those benchmarks and ultimately reach those goals for a lot of for or for a lot of everyday investors that's almost like indispensable in managing the assets is is knowing what you're managing for and how you're going to get there now that all comes from the financial Okay. And then I see referrals to outside professionals. Yeah. So, Want to talk about that a little bit? When What what, what are some things a, a consumer should be asking themselves? Do they find the ADV and it says referrals to outside professionals? Yeah. Who, who are these professionals? What, what are you referring outside for? You know, in this case, it might be attorneys, accountants, insurance agents, because maybe the people at McLean or the people at the firm that you're looking for aren't licensed to engage in those services. And so they basically have to outsource those to a third party. Um, but uh, maybe in some instances, 
they outsource to a third party because it benefits them. That that's what we kind of want to be on the lookout for. Is are are you outsourcing because you're not able to engage in this or because you know it's not your area of expertise and you know that you're not the best person to give this sort of advice? Or are are you outsourcing to this person because, you know, they give you 10% of the fees uh, that they collect from any referrals to you? That's what, something you really want to be on the lookout for. And that, that goes not just to these referrals, but to almost any aspect of advice is where do these conflicts A 100%. I mean, I've, I've seen many advisors where, you know, they, they – Oh, we're AUM only, that kind of thing. We only get paid for services, but they refer out banking relationships and the bank mm-hmm. sort of kicks them out. I'm not saying that's right or wrong. They're transparent about it in their ADV, but no one reads it, you know? And so it's it's one of those things that you should know this simply because you want to know what you, – you just want to know what you're getting into. We use – we actually – we pay actually a retainer, a yearly retainer to a long-term care professional you know, that we refer clients to, but we're not getting paid. We actually pay that person a retainer to provide advice to our clients. Why? Because it gets complicated, the long-term care rules. And, you know, we'd rather have an expert on that. We do, we, now we we have a stable of attorneys and accountants we'll refer to simply because to your point, the level of advice that we give, you want to make sure you don't cross the line and you're actually providing legal advice or you're actually providing like accounting advice because we're not CPAs we're, we're there's a there's a technical line that we have to follow right yeah if if your investment advisor is drawing up um uh, a new a new will for you and they're not a licensed <laughs> attorney you want to like take a step back and say do I really want to you know get this important piece of advice and and this important document from somebody who's not a licensed attorney? Are they even able to give me this document? It, there, you know, there's a lot of training that goes into being an attorney, uh, and you want if you're going to get legal services, there you is? want it to be coming to come from somebody who's authorized to do that. But but more more importantly, I think is is the conflict. Like you said, a lot of people don't read these things. But, but it's so important that you do read these things because this is where the conflicts, for the most part, this is where they're going to be disclosed. Um, and an advisor, in order to meet their fiduciary duty, they have to give full and fair disclosure of their conflicts to you so that you can consent to them. But what they're not required to do is to actually get your literal consent to that conflict. If they disclose it to you, and you don't come back and say, I don't want you to act on this conflict, then then you have implicitly given your consent to that conflict, even if you never read the brochure, even if you never read this document where the conflict was disclosed. So it's really important that you read this, that you identify, pull out the conflicts and kind of figure out where the conflicts lie for a particular firm. Because after they disclose the conflict to you, their disclosure obligations are done. As long as they can justify the advice they give as being in your best interest, then it doesn't matter whether you've actually consented to the conflict or not. You consented to it by not doing anything about it, by, by not restricting their authority or, or their advice giving ability. Uh, and that's why it's important for you to do your homework and figure out where those conflicts are. And this is the place to do it. So if you're looking at ours, we have here employer, we do employer sponsored retirement plans. We do 401k plans. Invariably, there's somebody that comes over that has an, a 401k and we roll it over into a, into an IRA rollover. You know, there's issues there. 
what, what you looking at our things? And again, you're you're a compliance attorney. What would you ask us? Warts and all, I'm I'm fine with that. What would you ask us relative to our lines of business that you would think you'd want to kind of just uh, rule out? Yeah. So what what are you going to give to me? I I have a four hundred one k account. Let's say I have okay. a separate brokerage account that I've just been self directing for you know the past ten years. Uh, and then I've got, you know, just uh, a pile of cash that, that's been sitting aside that I've been saving for a rainy day and it's been accumulating, but I haven't done anything with it. And with inflation, it's just, it's losing value every day. Um, so I'm going to look in here and I'm going to say, well, ERISA sponsored, um, employer sponsored, sorry, retirement plans, that, that doesn't really impact me. That's them, that's the McLean working with a plan. That, that may not be McLean working with me. Um, and so these, these services that are geared towards businesses, I'm not super concerned about. I'm, I'm more concerned about what they're giving to retail investors. Uh, but then I get to like rollovers and, and conflicts that, that can arise from there. Um, I might, I might see that. I might catch my mind. You know, I've got a 401k yeah, account. Yeah. So maybe a rollover is right for me. Well, you know, McLean, if McLean recommends a rollover, they're conflicted because it's going to increase their compensation. Is, is that a problem? Is, is that an issue? I, I at least yeah. have caught that. I've heard the term rollover. I know that I've got this account that may be subject to a rollover. It may be a good idea to do a rollover. I see these conflicts in place. I, but I, I don't have enough information to like really reach a conclusion about what McLean is going to do with that account. So that it becomes something you want to discuss further with the firm. And, and that's what a lot of this is going to be about. It is not, you know, we're, we're reaching a hard and fast conclusion based on what we see here. We're, we're kind of issue spotting um, for things that I want to talk about further. Oh, you have eyes on rollovers. No. You might recommend rollovers. Is this a good idea for me? Uh, and, and go from there. Um, yeah. No, and I think rollovers, that's going to be in everyone's. ADV at, at, at this point, because that's the reality, right? If somebody has an ERISA sponsored 401k plan and you're asking them to manage those assets from there, invariably that, yeah, that's, that's always a conflict because you're, you're asking them to give you the discretion of those assets and, yeah, know, and, you, and, and you, the business benefits that come with that. Yeah. And, and we're going to get to this in the next item, but a lot of investment advisors are billed on what they would call an AUM fee, assets under management fee. It's a fee that is maybe 1% to use a round number. 1% of all the managed assets per year is the fee. And so if they're not managing my 401k, uh, but they would manage those same assets after they're rolled over into an IRA, number one, that conflicts them in giving the rollover recommendation because the investment advisor obviously is incentivized to increase the assets the a, uh, that are going to be subject to the AUM fee. Uh, and number two, there are certain processes that they're going to need to walk through uh, to in order to give that advice. We don't need to get into that here, but. Um, no, 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 I, I got you. And, and, and just keep in mind, I mean, this is, why would you do that? Right? Well, usually, I mean, it's getting better. But the 401k options are much more limited than what you can just get in the open market, you know, and that, that's really the bottom line. It's getting better because there's such a strong attention now to fees in the 401k spot that there wasn't even 10 years ago. 
So, you know, it, it was, you know, th- th- those are the considerations. You just have a greater option of investment choices away from a 401k plan. So it's, it made it an easy kind of rollover suggestion, but you know, they are becoming more competitive. I, at least I, I get that sense. Do you, Ryan? I, I do. And I think that's almost by necessity uh, because if, if I'm in a plan and my investment options are 10 different target date mutual funds, which, oh, you know, in man. a lot of cases, that's what the plan is. And I don't get individualized advice. I don't get planning from anybody. And by the way, I'm probably paying 10 to 20 basis points a year to have an investment advisor recommend to my employer what those 10 target date funds are. <laughs> um like it, where is the where do I get the value as a participant in that plan? It's hard to see. Whereas it, it's, no, it's a lot easier to see where the value comes from in an IRA, where I'm not limited to ten target date funds. I get discretionary management, perhaps I get financial planning. I pay a little more, sure. Uh, well, most of the time I pay a little more, but you know it makes sense because yeah, I there's get value. More there's value. There's value there, right? Yeah. And, and so the point is, I mean, my takeaway is th- these are more potential issue spotters. Just because something is there doesn't mean that there's an issue happening. It's just if they were if they would come up, it would come up in, in that realm. That That's all it is. But it, again, it's just the whole theme is making you an informed consumer. You know, regardless, even if you don't pursue not to get advice, you should at least know why you should or why you shouldn't or making sure that it fits as opposed to just having preconceived ideas about the business of advice. Right. And and I personally, I really appreciate when firms are transparent and upfront with their conflicts. They they own the fact that there are conflicts, that they can't get rid of the conflicts. It's just inherent to their business. But they're upfront about it. Hey, this, this conflict exists. What I don't appreciate as a consumer is firms that try and hide the ball. You know, they, they may talk about things that are a conflict, but, but they don't tell me as a, like in, in plain English, this is a conflict. They, they rely on me to kind of reach that same conclusion on my own. That, that's just me, my personal opinion. I, I appreciate the transparency that I see in a number of firms that are just very upfront about this is a conflict and, and here's what we do about it. Oh, I got you. And so uh, item five, we go into the, the fees and compensation. Yep. And so this is what's any, where you're going to see. Any any? You want to well, look for what the fees are. What service am I getting, number one? And then what are the fees for that service? So something like what you'll see here, this is very common, this fee schedule. You've got you know different levels of assets that you might place under the advisor's management and a, a descending asset-based fee from there, depending on what the levels are, of assets are. Um, you want to make sure that the, the, fir- the fee you're paying is comfortable, is something you're comfortable with. Um, you probably don't want to pay more than like two and a half to three percent. Those are like the absolute highest that I've seen in my career. In terms is there a legal thing? Is there a legal thing? Like, the, can you get audited and the SEC says, what are you doing charging 4% a year? That, just, I don't yeah, even know. So you have to charge a reasonable fee and, and reasonable can vary it's it's in the yeah, eye exactly. of the beholder a lot of times um i think a lot of firms or a lot of regulators will put like three percent as the rule of thumb that if you're if you're paying more than three percent 
as an advisor, if you're charging more than 3% as an advisor, you better be prepared to justify that uh, because the presumption is going to be that that's an unreasonable fee. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know if there was like a magic number that, you know, it's Voldemort. It, People don't it, mention it. It's not it. a hard and fast <laughs> thing. Like I said, it, it varies depending on who's looking at it. And, and it could, you know, that 3% could include a whole laundry list of things that you might pay separately for with a firm that's going to charge you much lower than that. Um, so and to be clear, McLean is not charging 3%. We're just, we're just no. using 3% right now as a, I, I was just wondering what's, what's considered a, you know, usury kind of fee. Yeah. The 3%, I think you're, you're only going to see for something like a, a wrap fee engagement wrap fee for, for people who don't know what a wrap fee is. A wrap fee might be an engagement where the advisor engages in a ton of trading activity in the account, but doesn't pass along the transaction costs that are incurred for that trading activity to the client. It's something they just absorb out of their fee. And so that might be an instance where it's worthwhile to pay a little more if the advisor is going to transact very heavily in the account, then instead of paying a $10, $20, $50 ticket but charge, that's for every not even trade, a thing anymore, right? I, the, it's the way a thing the industry that exists. Gone, it, it, it's it's more rare than it was, you know, five ten years ago for sure. Just because fees are there's no trading, effectively trading costs are zero at this point for a lot of asset classes at a lot of brokers, but not not all the time in all cases. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. If you're looking for more personal advice, please note that our show is sponsored by McLean Asset Management. Learn more at McLeanAM.com. That's M C L. E-A-N-A-M dot com. McLean Asset Management is a wealth management firm where we help you design and implement the right retirement plan for you. All right. Um, and then you have, so you have the fee schedule that you could see there, the AUM fee schedule. Yep. Which also, is usually, you want to know and, and what you're some, getting for that fee also. Like, does that and fee something that I, planning? Does that fee only money management? So on and so A hundred percent. And usually the fees are, they, they don't cascade, they're tiered. So the first million is X amount. Then from a million, one dollars to whatever, two and a half million, it's X amount and so forth. It doesn't, doesn't, doesn't cascade. It, you know, it, it's, it's sort of tiered and that's kind of the industry standard. Uh, the other thing about fees is sometimes they, they, you can pay them in advance, in arrears mm -hmm. and based on what valuation. Right. Want to talk about that real quick? Yeah, uh, if I'm going to bill in in advance, let's say, it, and it's going to give all of these details in item five, it'll say we bill in advance, we bill in arrears, uh, we give clients the option of either on a quarterly basis, monthly basis, whatever the case may be. Um, and it'll also tell what the valuation date is based on um, daily average balance during, during the billing period, the, the first day of the billing period, last day of the prior billing period. Um, there's no right or wrong for either of those things. I personally prefer paying fees in arrears um, because I don't want to have to get a refund. That That's one of those things. If, if I pay in advance uh, to an investment advisor and I terminate the agreement with the advisor in the middle of a billing period, now I'm owed a <laughs> refund for those fees that I paid in advance. Um, and do I want to be bothered with, with, you know, jumping through any hoops to get a refund personally? No. And so I would seek an arrears billing advisor 
but it makes no difference. Like your, your mileage may vary. I'll say on that. You may have different preferences. You may not care about the Yeah. Um, and, and for McLean, we're in advance. So I guess we lost Ryan ever becoming a client. We, it, and and we a, do average daily. Nah, I'm kidding. And we do. Oh, we'll get you soon enough. And, <laughs> and we do average daily balance. Uh, it just from a workflow standpoint, it, it's what we've chosen. And uh, yes, there's a refund piece, but I, it, I don't know. It's just a matter of uh, hitting a button and off it goes. So we don't. Yeah. But I can so, see your point where maybe somebody gives somebody a hassle, but I don't know. I'm, I, 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 I've never I, heard of you, it, but that's fine. I'm sure you want to know these things that that's the overall point. Like you want to know whether they're billing in advance or in arrears and you want to be comfortable with that billing methodology. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, and if they're billing in arrears, you kind of you want to know what it, what's it going to be like to get a refund? Is it just going to be sent to me? Do it, does it say in here, you know, you will be given a refund if you give a, a written request? Yeah, and, yeah. And do I have to jump through it? That's, that's what you want to be. And on. it's good. I mean, even though you think the relationship's long term, you want to know that if you need a divorce, what's, what's the, what's the way happens. to go about it? So that, that's fair. It's Stuff fair. happens. And you just uh, want to know what, uh, what, what's my experience going to be like. Exactly. What other fees do you see that an advisor can charge for? Yeah, you might you might see uh, hourly fees that that's big in like the planning or in the discrete consulting context. Uh, if I only want to meet with somebody once a year for an afternoon or for a few hours, then maybe they'll charge me an hourly fee. They'll tell me you know two fifty an hour, three fifty an hour, whatever the case may be. That's great. Let's book two hours. Let's book three hours. I know what my fee is going to be for that. You may also see fixed fees. Um, you want to? Uh, you want me to write a plan for you? Okay, I'm going to charge you five thousand uh, dollars, or I'm going to charge you ten thousand dollars, depending on what like the complexity of my situation is, how involved the planning process is going to be. That's going to largely dictate the price, and it's a factor of how much time the advisor is going to have to put into constructing the plan. And what they would, you know, maybe normally charge on an hourly rate basis. Um, but though, you may also, in some cases, you may see, you know, $50,000 a year and you'll get planning services. You'll get investment management services. There will be no asset-based fee. You know, the, there's a hundred different ways that these things can play out. Here, we're looking at two fifty dollars to $1,000 an hour for hourly engagements. And a thousand to fifty thousand, depending on scope and complexity, for uh, fixed fee engagements. But it could be really almost so, anything, depending on how. Yeah, I mean the, the 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 caveat here that 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 always is interesting to me. You have to put the highest possible number, even yeah. though clients on average may not be paying that much. You have to put the highest possible number that you could potentially charge. That way, it it, it kind of doesn't restrict yourself later on, and so yeah. hence you have that. And, right. and so, if, you know, have we charged anyone a fifty thousand dollar engagement off the top of my head? I don't remember if we have. It's possible, but that's not like the norm, you know that that, that, that kind of thing. But you have to kind of put a high number there just for the heck of it. That's it. I mean, we have to put a range of fees in place. And if we don't want to limit ourselves, then we kind of have to say, this is like the highest thing we might charge for somebody who has a very, very complex yeah, yeah. situation, just to give yourself that. Don't worry. Ryan, when you come on board, we'll, we'll, we'll have to change this to 1,000 to 51,000. 
yeah, <laughs> the, the 50,000 will go up. But no, no, no. No, but it, it's true, right? And so you, you just from a business standpoint, just know that you can always go to the advisor and talk to them about from a business standpoint, uh, what what you think your fee should be. You know, there. this is not like uh, the, the market in Morocco or, or something like that where everything is you're negotiating, negotiating. But again, know that the fees here have to be at the highest watermark. So from a from a compliance standpoint, so there's nothing wrong going back to the advisor and and asking. If you don't ask, you never know, right? Yeah, and and this is this is kind of just pie in the sky hypothetical. But if you go to an advisor and their ADV says our fixed fees for this service are you know ten to twenty thousand, and they quote you fifty thousand for whatever the same service. You know, that, that immediately should put up red flags for you that why yeah. do they say that this is their fee and they're doing so it's a, it's a bait and switch, you know, that, or that's the initial reaction at least. And, and hopefully they would have a really good answer for why they quoted you that amount. Um, but it, it should kind of put off the, uh, little or stop, make you stop and think a little bit about why they said one thing and you're doing. Yeah, and I see something here. Uh, we have it written, third-party fees. What does that mean? Yeah, so it, it may not always be the investment advisor who's charging you fees in an advisory relationship. You know, we talked about having your fee or your assets at a custodian. The investment advisor may not be holding your assets. It's at a custodian. That custodian, uh, that broker might charge their own fees. Maybe they charge an account maintenance fee. Uh, an administrative fee for having the account open. In some cases, they might charge for transaction costs for the securities transactions that take place in the account. But they, they, they charge their own fees and those fees are set by the broker or custodian and they're totally separate from the fees that an investment advisor might charge for uh, you. Um, there may be fees at uh, uh, for pooled investment vehicles, mutual funds and exchange traded funds. Those funds are managed by an investment advisor um, and they are also held. The assets of the funds are held at broker dealers and custodians. And so those professionals have their fees that they assess to the fund in the form of you know, what they might call an expense ratio, um, basically telling you how much of the fund's assets are eaten up by these costs that are charged by third parties. But so it's not just the investment advisor that's charging fees. It's the brokers or custodians who are holding and transacting in the assets. And it could be the assets themselves if they're pooled investment vehicles with expense ratios. Um, just yeah, other and, and types just of fees. For, yeah. And so we have to list that what third-party fees are. But if you read our ADV, it says at the bottom – of, of that point that MAMSI does not accept fees from the sale of securities, blah, 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 blah. So again, you have to list all these things, but, uh, you know, continue reading through it and, and you'll see where the firm specifically stands on that item. And, and maybe, uh, for, for the last point on, on this episode, uh, and we can continue them. I guess it's a two part of the, the ADV, uh, explanation is, is the manner, and we talked about it briefly, and maybe we don't need to, but another section within within five is the manner of payments and calculation of fees. Do you want to maybe uh, go, go through that a little bit? Yeah, and, and a lot of firms, um, McLean included, will be authorized to directly debit a fee 
from the client's managed account. Um, may set off custody alarm bells for people who, who recall the custody conversation from previous episodes. You know, how, why is the advisor allowed to just take their money or their fee out of my account? It, it's because the, the SEC feels like there are sufficient checks in place. Um, the custodian, the, the broker dealer or bank that's actually holding the assets, it, if the advisor is going to be able to directly debit fees from the client account, then that broker is going to be required to send the client at least quarterly statements of all the account activity that took place so that as a client, I have enough tools in my toolbox. I've got maybe my IAA, my investment advisory agreement with the advisor. I've got my account statement showing the account value and the, um, the, de- the fee that was debited put all those things together, I can run the numbers and make sure that the amount that the uh, advisor is taking out of my account aligns with the fee I agreed to pay so that they're not taking advantage of that authority. That That's why that's permissible without the advisor taking actual custody and subjecting that to a CPA exam. Uh, something, and I'll end it with this, something that you, you said sparked this in me, uh, uh, the, the point about custody that we talked about last time. The benefit of also not having custody is that you'll receive separate asset reports on a monthly basis from an independent source. So Schwab, Fidelity, or TD will send you monthly statements, right, either by mail or email, however you choose. And then you can kind of reconcile that with what an advisor uses to to show you what your statements are and things like that. So you always have that as well, which is, I, I think, good to have. It's only it's only uh, as it useful. It doesn't mean you need to every go on. No, it no, to to your point, it, it doesn't mean you have to look at every single statement that comes through <laughs> with with a calculator and and run the numbers yeah, every yeah, month. Yeah, no, I, but but check in every now and then, make sure it makes sense that it's not totally off base. Just give it a quick once over to make sure that it aligns with what you expect it to uh, look like from the debit perspective. Um, yeah, you might not get it and every month. It needs to go out at least quarterly. Most custodians do it monthly, but the requirement is that it go to the client at least quarterly. Yeah. And technically, actually, an advisor is not required to provide performance reports or anything like that. So you, I, I always think it's good just simply because it keeps the advisor on their toes. Yeah. The, 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 the idea is, all right, you know, we're preaching long-term investments and then providing a quarterly report. So it kind of runs – Contrary, you know, it's, it's a bit hypocritical, but I, I think it's good because it shows to me that the advisor takes their business seriously because there's there's an infrastructure in place that they can produce these reports. It, this is my example that I said last time. When it's busy at the restaurant, go to the bathrooms. If the bathrooms yeah. are clean, you know it's a good restaurant, yeah. right? So if, you, if your advisor is providing quarterly reports pretty, you know, on a timely basis and the like, that's a good tell for me. I mean, I, I know it sounds like a low bar, but it's good. You know, it keeps the advisor honest because they have to confront their actual performance every reporting period. Right. And and they have to answer for it if the performance isn't what they think it should be. Yeah. And and you could always reconcile that with the monthly statements from the independent custodian. Yeah. Ryan, uh, I I think, you know, we're going through the ADV part two, whereby, you know, number five. And so we don't like rush through the rest of them. Why don't we have a two-parter in this one. Is that okay with you? I'll be happy to come back. 
I guess Which I put you on the easy. spot with that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, all right. So we'll stop this uh, for right now, and the ADV part two will be a two-parter. Okay. <laughs> How's that? Sounds all good. Right. All right. Thank you, everyone. We'll follow up next week with the, the rest of the stuff on the ADV. Stay tuned. Uh, thanks. Wade and Alex are both principals of McLean Asset Management and Retirement Researcher. Both are SEC-registered investment advisors located in Tysons, Virginia. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational and educational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific securities. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor. All investing comes with a risk, including risk of loss. Past performance does not guarantee future results.